Well, our meditation on a psalm this afternoon, as we usually do for these uh, shorter afternoon worship services, is going to be on Psalm 40. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 40. As we consider this psalm, the human earthly author of the psalm is King David. The caption indicates that he wrote it with public worship in mind, so he addresses it to the choir master, a psalm of David. We've noted before, for those of you who've been here, that when we see that kind of caption, it's pointing out that, of course, all psalms that are collected in the Psalter, in the 150 psalms of the Bible, are appropriate for God's people to use during worship, but here David uh, seems to have had that in mind uh, when he composed this psalm. And this is one of the things that David did in preparing for the building of the temple. Not only did he lay up many material goods for the building of the temple that his son Solomon would carry out, but he also prepared the songs that God commanded would be sung in the temple worship. But as it is inspired scripture... <clears throat> The primary author, of course, of Psalm 40 is God himself. And as we find clearly indicated in the New Testament, uh, there is a direct application of the words of this psalm in particular to Jesus Christ. Verses 6 and 7 especially are referenced in the New Testament as being about Jesus. Uh, Nevertheless, there are clear applications historically to David's life. And so we see this psalm is a scripture which is what we would call historically recapitulated. That's a a term I borrowed from Denny Pruto. Uh, There's historical recapitulation. Uh, It applied to David in his time, but it has its ultimate fulfillment in Christ Jesus, the greater David. Uh, There are two main sections to the psalm in verses 1 through 10. David speaks of what God has done in the past, uh, delivering him from troubles, giving him uh, blessings, uh, granting him a teachable spirit and a changed heart. And the verses 11 through 17 are David's appeal for future deliverance from God. And so as we make our way through the psalm, we'll see both the links to events in David's life, uh, just we'll touch on those, and we'll also see something of its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. As I said, the first ten verses speak of past works of God, as David wrote about them. And first, the king speaks of deliverance from troubles. Uh, You might recall, Psalm 39 ended with an appeal to God for help in a time of trouble. Well, Psalm 40 begins with reflection on help that has been given by God. And so, uh, here we see the scripture here. Starting at verse 1, or really verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's the English Standard Version translation. As David waited upon the Lord, 
And the Lord condescended to hear his cry and rescue him. So did the Lord vindicate Christ, uh, drawing him up from destruction, preserving him from angry mobs on a multitude of occasions. Think of the many times that, humanly speaking, Jesus could have been caught in the trap laid by his enemies, where when he uh, could have been stoned to death. How many times did people try to uh, either throw Jesus off a cliff one time, or uh, that was near Nazareth, or uh, stone him, and yet he escaped until it was the God-ordained time for him to lay down his life for his sheep. And when at the right time he did do that, he laid down his life, the Lord raised him up from the pit of death, ultimately vindicating him. As many heard David's praise of God and thus put their trust in the Lord, so has, of course, the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ brought many from generation to generation and on and on to saving faith in him. Well, David next sings of the blessing he has received from God. And we see the teachings of Jesus in these words. Uh, Some even see in this a condensed version, if you will, of the Beatitudes. As verses 4 and 5, David writes, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. David certainly proclaimed the blessings of the Lord that he gave to him to the humble and the contrite in heart. But as the ultimate and greatest prophet, Jesus proclaims the wonders of God like no other. And through his church, he continues today to proclaim the wonders of God. And so we see the fulfillment of these words ultimately in Christ Jesus. And if I weren't just doing a brief meditation, we could go on and on and on about the ways in which Christ fulfills the words of those verses. But in verses 6 through 8, David uh, speaks of the inward change that God has worked in him, giving him a teachable spirit. And of course, uh, these words have their greatest application in Jesus, who, uh, though he had no sin and needed no correction, took the form of a servant and fulfilled all righteousness for us. As we see in verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Now, first of all, we need to remember, Psalms are poetry. So, So David is speaking poetically here. He's not trying to contradict scriptures which revealed God's requirements of sacrifices for the atonement for sins. He's not saying, hey everybody, don't listen to Moses. <laughs> Moses told us to sacrifice, but, but I'm saying otherwise. No, God told Moses those things. But often we see uh, in the Old Testament, we see this in the, the prophets quite frequently, that the Lord abhors the sacrifices that he commanded when people bring them with a wrong spirit without contrition of heart. So he's really reiterating the fact, David is reiterating here the fact taught throughout Scripture that God does not accept worship that is mere lip service and going through the motions that has no real heart for the Lord. God requires a changed heart and a worshipful spirit. And that's expressed 
in the words, but you have given me an open ear, as it was translated here. Literally, the Hebrew says something like, ears you have dug open to me. Now that might sound a little strange to us, but it's a figure of speech. It can have two different related meanings. Uh, The main one is just a readiness to listen. God makes his people ready to hear him. And so you get the image perhaps of God sculpting someone of clay and digging out the ears, right? making, making ears so that you can hear. Uh, the second is a related concept of bond servanthood. And to uh, Barry York some years ago at, uh, at an international conference spoke about this application of this scripture a slave or a bondservant whose years of service have come to a close, according to Old Testament law, might choose to remain with his master. And in that case, what would happen was that the master would open or dig his ear. He would place the earlobe against the doorpost of his house and pierce it with an awl. David is both saying here, You have made me ready to listen to you, O God, and also... I am your bond servant. I am your slave. I belong to you, not to myself. Should that not be the cry of every Christian to God? I don't put a lot of exhortation, you'll know, in, uh, in these uh, psalm meditations. But if there's any exhortation for us here, be ready to serve God. Cry out to Him, I am your slave. I do not own myself. You own me. We've been bought with a price, the price of Christ's blood. Of course, Jesus declared these very things as well. Burnt offerings and sacrifices are not required of us. If one is not born again, of course, burnt offerings and sacrifices had no efficacy whatsoever. But Jesus made all sacrifices obsolete by his own once-for-all giving of himself. And so the required sacrifice for us is first the trust in Christ who has finished all sacrifices and then simply the giving of ourselves in God's service. As Paul says in Romans 12, we offer our bodies not as a dying sacrifice but as a living sacrifice which is an acceptable sacrifice to God. So as David was the kind of king predicted in scriptures like Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, Jesus, of course, is the one who ultimately came as the scriptures predicted the coming of the Savior to fulfill all that righteousness and to make the once for all sacrifice. So David writes in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. Uh, Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 directly quotes the Septuagint, the Greek version of verses 6 and 7, as applying to Jesus. Numerous scriptures like Luke 24, 27 and 44, John 4, 34, John 5, 39 and 46 show how Jesus demonstrated that the Old Testament spoke of him. I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. So while David and anyone with the changed heart delights to do God's will. Jesus is the one who perfectly delighted to do the will of God completely. It was his food and drink to do the will of God. Verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Of 
course, God writes His law on the hearts of all who are in Christ. And so, we can sing this ourselves, but only because Christ is the one who delighted to do the will of God. The result for both David and Jesus was the proclamation of the good news, the gospel of deliverance. And we find that in in verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Another exhortation for us from that, of course, is that we not conceal it. That we not hide in our heart God's truth and saving help. That we would proclaim what we have received to the world around us. The rest of the psalm is David's appeal for future deliverance. In these words, we can hear Christ's confidence that he will be vindicated after his trial and his sufferings, and even laying down his life for his sheep. As he says in verses 11 and 12, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Of course, Jesus only was vindicated after the Lord had not restrained his anger. And he did withhold his mercy for a time from Christ, so that even from the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, we know that the Lord will not restrain his mercy from us because he poured out his wrath on Jesus. As David says in verse 12, For evils have encompassed me beyond number, my iniquities have overtaken me, I cannot see, they are more than the hairs of my head, my heart fails me. Of course, though David had his own guilt to overtake him, Jesus had none. But think of what he was experiencing when the sins of his people were laid on him and made it possible for him to say such words that iniquities have overtaken him. And he could say the words of Psalm 22 verse 1 that we considered some time back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Both David and Jesus warned of the wrath of God coming upon those who sought their hurt and called down God's curse upon them. This reminds me, not long ago I was watching a YouTube video of some uh, Reformed teachers uh, at a conference. There was a question and answer session, and and someone asked uh, this, this panel of teachers, uh, well, <clears throat> what should Christians do with the imprecatory psalms? If you don't know that term, imprecatory means the, the psalms that call down God's curse upon the enemies of God's people. And Robert Godfrey's answer was, sing them. Uh, so, it's perfectly appropriate for us to sing these things. God inspired them. They are uh, calling, they're not just us making up some curse, they are God recognizing that he will vindicate and protect his people. Jesus himself, as God, carried out his judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70. And he's going to come again to judge the world. Verses 13 through 15 say here, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Lastly, both King David and the King of Kings declare the blessings of seeking and loving the Lord while recognizing their human dependence on Him. 
So, of course, Jesus needed nothing in his, in his being as God, but in his nature as a man, he was fully dependent on God. Verse 16 and 17, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So as those who rejoice and are glad in the Lord and cry out continually, Great is the Lord. Let's sing this psalm or the rest of it as we turn in our psalters to selection F, 40F. Let's stand together as we're able and we'll sing praise to God. 40F.